But just like Kristen was named Kristen because she may have been named after her grandmother or somebody, or Emily was named Emily because she may have been named after a literature figure or whoever, that I too was named after someone that influenced my parents. And so let us not forget that even when you see an unpracticed name to you, that there is a, there needs to be, we need to follow our language and what our response is so that we can still have, we can still have respect for a person's name because it is respecting their identity and the, the causation for them to be to have that name. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Have you ever avoided calling someone by name for fear of mispronouncing it? Have you ever given students nicknames to make it easier for you and their fellow students to address them? How can mispronouncing, altering, or altogether changing students' names affect their personal, educational, and social trajectories? Why is it important to change the narrative around names that some might consider difficult to pronounce, and what can we do to begin? We discuss these questions and much more with Njeme Kamara. We first learned about Njeme's work through an article she wrote called Names That Aren't Familiar to You Aren't Hard, They're Just Unpracticed. Njeme is an actor and author currently residing in New York. She is a proud first-generation American of Filipina and Gambian roots. Having recently wrapped up the post-production run of Junk by Ayad Akhtar, she is currently performing Macbeth at Classic Stage Company directed by John Doyle. She also did a year-long run in the principal role of Nettie in the Tony-winning revival of the Color Purple Broadway Tour, directed by John Doyle. Other credits include the world premiere of X or Betty Shabazz vs. the Nation by Marcus Gardley, the off-Broadway run of Julius Caesar, and a Bobby and Kristen Anderson Lopez world premiere of Up Here at the La Jolla Playhouse, directed by Alex Timbers. Her voice can be heard on Amazon's Audible, narrating audiobooks for young adults from Penguin Random House Publishing. For more information, check out the books Harbor Me, We Rise, We Resist, We Raise Our Voices, A People's Future of the United States, You Bring the Distant Near, and Fumbled and Gravity. And Jamie received her Master of Fine Art from UC San Diego and has taught acting and movement workshops at various universities, including Loyola University in New Orleans, UC San Diego, SUNY Oswego, Northern Arizona University, and the University of Central Missouri. She is a current member of the Voice and Speech Trainers Association, where she presented on intersectional arts pedagogy in Singapore at the 2017 VASTA conference. As well as acting, Njeme enjoys writing and is currently working on her first book. She has also written and performed a one-woman show about a young Maya Angelou called Marguerite to Maya. The show was developed with the Ubuntu Theater Project and was performed at Studio 67 in Oakland, California, the Alameda Juvenile Detention Hall, and the Eugene O'Neill Tau House for new play development. Other writing credits include the Monologue Project. 
Perhaps most importantly for this podcast episode, and Jamie is passionate about the connection between names and identity, and we were really happy to talk to her about this trending topic. Before we get started, just a reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash EL community. There you can leave comments about this episode and all of our others, as well as find lots of other resources like our Whiteboard Wednesday short video series. We also encourage you to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on Highest Aspirations. As always, we thank you for listening. Here's our conversation with Njeme Kamara. Njeme Kamara, welcome to Highest Aspirations. Thank you, Stephen. So good to be with you. I'm so happy to be on the show. Same here. Yeah, it's great to have you. You bring a different perspective um, onto the podcast. We have a lot of teachers, administrators, researchers, policymakers, students, um, and I know you've been a student before, but now you're coming to us um, as an actor and as someone who is very passionate about uh, names and pronouncing them correctly. So we're excited to have your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> great. So let's start. When we first spoke, you told me that when you were in elementary school, um, a teacher gave you the nickname Jamie, um, mm -hmm. and that's and that stuck with you for a long time. And so I'd like to start by asking you to tell us how that affected you at that time as a young person, and then we'll get into later how it affected you over the years. Sure, sure. So that nickname that was given to me, it was used in kindergarten, so K-4. And at the time, I didn't necessarily think anything of it. In my, at my house, people were given nicknames all the time as part of Filipino culture. And so in, in, the, in my house, my nickname was JJ. And some people would call me Jay, just give me shorten JJ. And so when I got to the classroom and the teacher gave me Jamie, um, I, I, I wasn't confused by it. I think I just went along with it. Plus, there were other kids in my class who had nicknames, like Matthew became Matt, Christopher became Chris, Brittany became Britt. And I thought, okay, well, everyone gets a nickname. I didn't necessarily get the gravity of it that my nickname was, in a way, changing my name to an, to an anglicized name. And I didn't understand sort of the, the motivation behind my teacher giving me a nickname. The other students in my class who, who had already established nicknames, those were given by their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was the, one of the only students who was given a nickname by the teacher. And looking back, or even at the time, like, what do you think the teacher was trying to accomplish by giving you that nickname at that time? I think that she was trying to create a sense of ease. I think that she anticipated a difficulty in the, amongst the students around my name even though there wasn't the chance to practice it, it, it the nickname was established from the get-go. So if I'm in her shoes, I can think, okay, well, as, a, as an educator, she's probably trying to make my name as easily um, accessible for herself and other students as possible. But I also think, well, if as grade schoolers or kindergartners who are taking foreign language classes, who are taking music lessons, where is the risk or where is the ability to also learn new names if we're being asked to learn new concepts, new languages, new instruments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I ask you that question kind of half knowing the answer as a teacher myself, and I'll, I'll be up front, you know, I think early in my teaching career, even as a Spanish teacher, um, you know, I, I was guilty of that. I had lots of students from 
from lots of places with, with names for me that, that were, you know, challenging to pronounce. And over time I learned to, um, to practice them and to, and to celebrate them. Um, but you know, I think as a teacher, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't really think about the impact that that has. So the next question I want to ask you is like looking back, you know, um, we talked a little bit about this, uh, but, but how, how, how do you think that experience impacted your educational experience over time? That, that nickname that you had, and when did you sort of realize or, or, or come to terms with the fact that that's, that's not your name and that's not sort of part of your, who you are as a person? Yeah, totally. I think just education wise, just walking through the halls, I realize now that that nickname gave me a lot of privileges, especially as being a person of color. Interesting. Um, I had many, I had many classmates who were African American and sometimes they would get made fun of because they had quote unquote made up names, which is a totally um, ignorant concept. We, we create language, we create names based off of sound and what resonates with us. And so it, we should debunk this, this argument that there are made up names. So ha- having the name Jamie um, really gave me the privilege to not be made fun of. And nobody even questioned, like, why is there an N in front of their name if their name is Jamie? And over time, once I started to really comprehend what was happening, maybe like around second or third grade, I started to justify the N in front of my name, and I would say, oh, Jamie is actually the English form of NJMA, which isn't actually true. But somehow, being in the United States and, and, and knowing how assimilation has impacted me in education, I started to justify how my name, what, what, my, what my name was, by creating that excuse that right. it's the English version. Right, and so, and, and then it wasn't until, really, I would say, eighth grade when this my, my mother and I went to a, a, a feast day celebration at our Catholic church tons of Filipinos there and one of my uh, titas my mom's friend she came she came up to me and met her for the first time and her name was Tita Josefina and I introduced myself and I said hi my name is Jamie and she's like <laughs> that's not your name that's not what your mom told me and I said, oh, well, that, you know, that's just the name I go by as an English person. She said, why? I said, oh, it's just because, I mean, it's, it's just it's a name I've just been going by. And she said, you like that? And I never thought about that before. I never thought about if I like it or not or why. Right. I just accepted it. Because, again, I was given it in kindergarten. And it became a part of my identity. Everyone knew me as it. All my classmates knew me as that. And, and, and I got easily embarrassed. And so as we're having this conversation, I'm like, I want to shut it down. I'm, you know, I'm 14 years old. I'm like, why are we having this conversation? It's so embarrassing. My best friends are over there. They're like, why is that woman asking you what your name is? And, and so that was the first sort of awakening where I felt like someone in questioning me was like really mm-hmm. seeing me. And I also want to back up and say, you know, my, my parents still continue to call me by NJMA, but the, the nickname Jamie, it got to the point where my cousins called me it, some of my aunts called me it, my cousins, a lot of my cousins called me it. So it wasn't just an identity at school, it became my identity at home. Which sure, is of my which I think is kind of a common thing, not to interrupt, but like, you know, you, you I mean, I have, I have a... Uh, um, 
uh, my oldest is, is 14 at this time. And like her, you know, her identity at school uh, and her friends and everything socially is almost like transferring into the home. Um, you know, we, we, where her name is Grace. So it's, it's a simple, you know, certainly doesn't have, she doesn't have any nickname. Right. But I can definitely see how that can kind of seep into your, mm-hmm. even, you know, even there, your family, I'm sure is quite proud of your heritage that that can kind of seep in there. So that's a really interesting observation that I hadn't thought of. Yeah, absolutely. And then when I went to high school, there were like 10 of my classmates from my grades from my middle school who transferred to the same high school. So everyone, again, knew me as Jamie throughout the halls. Even the new freshman class knew me as Jamie. I introduced myself to my at my first audition in high school. And I said, you know, my, my senior teacher, he said, I'm Jamel. And I said, no, it's Jamie. Um, it's, it's the English version of my birth name. I didn't even tell him what my birth name was. I just said, Jamie, and it's an English version. He said, okay. And the crazy thing about it is when I look back on it now, no, no one ever, no one ever really drilled me. No teacher drilled me and said, well, how did you get that nickname? Or how, how do you really pronounce your name? Okay. So if Jamie's the English version, what is the, what is the, what is the real cultural version? No one ever asked me that. At least not that yeah. I can remember. And if I did, I must have put it somewhere else in my mind because I was embarrassed. Like I said, I was embarrassed easily as a, as sure. a teenager. You know, and like we we have lots of people who come on this podcast now who again are lots of educators um, and researchers and people who are trying to kind of make a difference in the field of, of English learner education. A big part of that right now is this whole idea of cultural responsiveness. And anybody who is practicing yeah. you know, culturally responsive teaching um, is going to uh, make an effort to embrace uh, a student's name for, for what it is. And that really connects to me with, um, with a quote that, that I wanna read to you, um, that, that you that you wrote in the article uh, from Teen Vogue magazine that I, that I read and that's how I, I got to know you. Um, and I want to read that that quote and get, sort of get your your reaction to it because I think it's really beautiful. Um, so it, it reads, they, yeah. uh, they being your parents, named me out of boundless love. And that love is a pride of culture and heritage. And yet my name is treated like a white elephant in society, an exotic interruption to the conversation among Christ, Christians and Emilys, whose names may be forgettable, but most assuredly don't make a stir. I, I just... I, it's such a poignant mm-hmm. quote. I'd love to hear sort of your reaction to that, hearing it again. Yes, absolutely. It 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 moves me, and, and I and I don't. I really don't intend for this to be self indulgent. But I've only been going by my birth name for the past um, eight years of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm 29, and I when I wrote that, I think about how my father named me after his little sister in the Gambia who passed away, who at the age of five was so hardworking, so respectful, such a servitude and grace and how she passed away. We don't know. And there doesn't, a picture of her doesn't exist. And so when my father said the first daughter I have, I want to name her in Jame, um, he got me. And he had the opportunity to carry his sister's name from across the country. And so I am named after somebody who was loved. And, and I know that, that with her name is a blessing. 
And my parents are celebrating her. They're celebrating culture. They're celebrating the Gambia. They're celebrating my grandparents who named my auntie Njeme Njeme. And so I know that this is where my my name comes from. It comes from a place of love. And I think that when a name like mine in the United States that is unpracticed, when I have people say to me, oh, I'm never going to get that, or, oh, that's going to take me a hot while. Oh, my God, say it. Oh, oh, I don't think I got to say it again. Say it again. Or then they laugh and snicker. They forget that they forget the sacredness of naming. They, They take it so casually sometimes. And I get that that's wrapped up in anxiety. But just like Kristen was named Kristen because she may have been named after her grandmother or somebody, or Emily was named Emily because she may have been named after a literature figure or whoever, that I too was named after someone that influenced my parents. And so let us not forget that even when you see an unpracticed name to you, that there is a, there needs to be, we need to follow our language and what our response is so that we can still have we can still have respect for a person's name because it is respecting their identity and the, the, the causation for them to be, to have that name. Right. It's, it's very, very, very well said. And I'm glad I asked you that question because that was a wonderful um, answer. And, you know, I think the, the name is so important and it can also represent so many other things um, that are parts of a student's identity particularly when they are new to the country, they have experienced perhaps trauma, um, they're scared, uh, they are not sure whether or not they should be holding on to what it is um, that of their identity is, is left from whatever they've dealt with. Um, and uh, a teacher or a role model or really anybody who is in a position to influence that child, respecting their name for the reasons that mm-hmm. you just gave, and so many more without really knowing what those reasons are, just knowing that this is what this child was named, I think is a lot more powerful than we think. And when I say we, I, I, I put myself in the position of many educators who, who have not um, thought of what you just um, brought up. So I, my hope is that, that the statement that you just made um, is amplified uh, at least a little bit and people get to hear that because I think it's so important. Absolutely. And, and thank you for that. And, and, and there are also two students who, when they, when they come to this country, they may not be in contact with their father who they're named after or their mother who their last name is from. And so what they have in their name may be a remnant of, of their parent. That's what they have to hang on to. And the last thing we want is to tell a student that their name is too it doesn't fit well in our mouths, that it's not attainable for us. And so they must not be attainable. Then yeah. they feel othered um, when we haven't taken the time to really um, learn them and figure it out. Just as though as students, we're asked to figure out math problems, solve different equations, all of these things that there's learning on both sides for both the teachers. Yeah, you know, and uh, something that you just said just now and something that you just said um, a few minutes ago uh, really stuck out to me. You, you used the word, you know, you said when a name doesn't fit uh, in, in well in someone's mouth or the term unpracticed. So 
you, you know, you said when a name is unpracticed, mm-hmm. you didn't say when a name was hard or difficult, which, which maybe I would do or others would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, mm-hmm. I know that you have sort of formally, uh, at least in that article, proposed sort of ditching those terms like difficult or hard uh, in favor of a term like unpracticed. Um, why do you think that's important and what effects do you think it could have on a teacher um, who may be staring at a long list of names that they used to call difficult? Yeah. In my eight years of going by my birth name, I've become a lot more sensitive to the way in which people respond to my name. I've been on both, I've been on both sides now where I've had the privilege of going by Jamie and now having in Jamie, my eyes and my ears are much more attuned to how people respond to it. And I've gotten many times people are like, oh, that's, that's a difficult name or uh, I'm not used to difficult names or, you know, back in my day, we just used to have John and Bob, simple. And, and so when I think of people saying hard or difficult, I think that it does imply many different things. It implies that, that if it must be hard for you, it must be hard for everybody else, right? It, it feels like a general mm-hmm. conclusion. Now, that's different than saying your name is difficult right. for me. What I have, but what I have, what I really gotten is your name is hard. Your name is difficult. And when somebody also, when someone says that, I think that they're also putting a wall between them and what what my name that needs to be learned. And so that's why I use the term unpracticed or practiced because just like we have to learn the piano, just like we're learning a new skill, just like we're learning a new language, we have to break down the sounds. We have to figure out where the consonants are, where the stresses are, where the roundness of the vowels are, and see, okay, this is my phonological inventory. What is this name asking of me? And now where do I have to stretch my, where do I have to stretch my brain, stretch my mouth, stretch my muscles, parts of my tongue that I haven't necessarily used before so that I can practice this name. And that's where I think it gets down to the heart of. It's just about what is unpracticed and what is practice. And in our country, there are many names that have been more practiced than others because of their, because of the commonality. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and I think it's, I'll like harken back to when we first talked. Um, and like, you know, one of the first things that I was trying to make sure that I understood was how to pronounce your name. And I thought you were very good and very open and very patient about making sure that I had the name pronounced correctly. You were also very direct, um, about it. And I think that's really important as well. Um, and I feel like you're a good example, um, of, of someone who, um, is is proud and somewhat stern and but also patient in making sure that somebody who really wants to get it right can get it right. So with, with that being said, um the person with the unpracticed name, what what part do you think mm-hmm. they need to play? Like go back to the 16-year-old you perhaps who maybe never got the nickname of Jamie. Um what what is what is what does mm-hmm. that person need to do in order to um, help others. You know, I th- let me step back a second because I think it's the response. I know it's the responsibility of the teacher. I know it's the responsibility of the of the adult. But in order to help that person along, either as a young person or as an adult, 
you know, what, what, what advice would you give to that, mm-hmm. to that person? As the person who has an unpracticed name, how do we give advice? to Correct. Someone not necessarily advice, but just, just, I guess to help tell the story, right. That you just told through making sure that that person's name is pronounced mm-hmm. correctly. Does that make sense? Cause I know it's a lot of like, I don't mean to put the responsibility and the burden on the person whose name is unpracticed, but I do at the same time feel like this is where perhaps there's a little tension. That person, there's some mm-hmm. thing that that person can do to help others like you did with me. Absolutely. I think the first thing as somebody who has an unpracticed name and who has been going by my name for eight years and who is revitalized by my name is first and foremost, knowing that your name should be seen and should be heard and should be celebrated because we are all on this earth. We are all loved and we are all here for the, we are all here. And my hope is that we're all doing for the, we're here for the greater good. And so instead of at first going into spaces with a closed heart, I really do think it's going with an open heart. Now I'm not saying to be naive and think that everybody is just going to, you know, get along and, and learn my name. It's going to be great. No, there are going to be some people who won't have the will and you'll have to, you'll have to sift through the people who have the willingness to learn your name and the people who don't have the will. And for the people who do have the willingness to learn is to meet them. And when they're having difficulty is to see, okay, have them explain to you where they're at, where they're having difficulty and say their name and have them, you know what? Take out a tape recorder and say, why don't you, it'd be most helpful if you do a voice memo. And one of my, one of, I was on a show and one of my actors did that. She was like, I, can I, is it okay if I record your name? And at first I was like, oh, kind of odd. But then I thought, no, that's really great because it's very solution oriented. She's not doing this to make fun of me. She's doing this because she genuinely wants to learn. So that's great. And then for the people who don't really have the will, I think that it's safe to say that there is an expiration date on how many times um, me or anyone else with an unpracticed name has the will in return to teach them. We are all in awkward situations where someone may introduce someone with an unpracticed name, and if they didn't have the will to learn, they're going to have a blank space or dead air. And uh, I've been in those situations where I've been with an, I've been with actors for the show closed, and one actor introduced me to her husband and said, "This is." And she didn't, she didn't say my name. The show yeah. closed. And she, so what I, and at that point, honestly, Stephen, that was beyond the point where I think I had to choose who deserved the most empathy. Was it myself or was it her? And I, I, I mean, I'm not going to apologize. I chose myself because I am the one who I felt as though I was in, the oppressive situation, her having more than enough time to learn and just not. And when I'm not learning, I mean, she didn't, she never came up to me. She didn't ask if I could repeat my name. She didn't ask me where my name came from or the yeah. culture of it. Nothing. You know, nothing. And, I, and like, I wonder where that, where that comes from, because like, I, I think I've, I mean, I think I've probably said it a couple times. Like I started teaching when I was really young. I didn't have a lot of training. I was, I was just turned 22. And I can like absolutely come clean here and say that I have been 
you know, I'm not proud to say this, but I have been the teacher who sort of avoided saying students' names or even other people's names because I was like, I was so, they were unpracticed and I was so afraid of making a mistake and offending that person. And then, you know, all this time goes by and all of a sudden it's like six months have gone by, a school year has gone by and I still haven't mastered the person's name. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, it's too late to ask now. That's awkward and strange. And, and it's like, just, you know, it's, 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 a terrible feeling, but you're, I think you're a hundred percent right. The, 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 the empathy belongs to the other person and shame on me for not having done that. But like, it, it's, it, I mean, it even happens with people who don't have names that are unpracticed. You don't make an effort to learn the person's name. You see them around and you don't know. And it's like, Hey man, Hey dude. I mean, it's just terrible. It's a terrible thing. Right. But like as a teacher, when you're working with young people, the stakes are so much higher. And I finally got to a point where I said, I'm not doing this anymore. If I have to, you know, say the name a thousand times, however, whatever it takes, ask, ask, ask over and over again, don't give nicknames. I'm going to do that. Um, so, so my question sure. at, the, at, at the sort of end of my confession, I guess, is, is how do we <laughs> express to people like my former self, of which there are many that still exists, mm-hmm. that they have to practice and they have to be willing to make mistakes. And that making those mistakes and making the effort initially is far better for you and for the other person than waiting. I mean, how do we, how do we go about doing that? You've alluded to that a little bit, but like, what advice, I guess, do you have mm-hmm. for those teachers who are staring at those lists of these names that they just they're totally unpracticed. They're, they're, they're overwhelmed. Um, and they don't know how to go about doing it. What do you say to them? I mean, I, I would say the first thing would be to talk to the parents and have the, have the parents pronounce their name and tape record it, especially in a time where people can just pull out your, pull out your phone, pull out your iPhone and turn on voice memo and record it and say that I'm doing this out of respect because this name is, is new to me, I want to be able to pronounce it fully um, by the end of the first week of school. And I would also say, um, see, if, see if another teacher has gotten it right, if you, if you have collaborative classes, and, and ask the other teacher, okay, what tools do you use to help yeah. you learn? Is there another way I can maybe imagine the name to make it more familiar to me. Uh, so something else I can think about. Um, and then, and then another thing I, I would say is, is knowing that if as educators, if we are putting ourselves out there, if you're putting yourself out there to shape a young person's mind is also remembering that you're also shaping mm-hmm. their identity. Even if you, re- if, even if you don't realize yeah. it or not. Every time they go into their, their classroom, when they're removed from their home, they see who's around, they see if they're safe, they see who's like them, who's representing them, do they see themselves in books, do they see themselves in the, um, the, the, the plays that you may bring them to or the movies that you may bring them to, the concerts you may bring them to. And it's, and so just knowing that you are shaping their identity. And when I, me and so many other people that I talk to and friends, when we think about trauma in our past, it always comes back to childhood. So knowing that, that these years that you have are full of, of mm-hmm. risk and triumph and, and championing of a person and influence. And so help them 
being the best version of themselves by knowing who they are so that you can, so that they can have more confidence being who they are. Yeah. Again, very well said. And I, and I just, I, I took some notes as you were speaking and I have to like connect this to the themes that we consistently talk about on this podcast and here at Elevation as well, because you're without even, I think, knowing that you're hitting on some of these, you know, they're so vitally important to educators. You are, and, and they are family engagement, talking to parents, so crucial with any group of mm-hmm. students, but I would say particularly for students um, who are, are English learners and who really need that connection. You talked about uh, talking with other teachers, mm-hmm. collaboration, co-teaching, co-planning, and that goes beyond just lesson planning. That 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 is also uh, mm-hmm. in, in about supporting students. You mentioned um, the voice memos, which is using technology. How can technology help you do things in the classroom? Not just lesson planning, but something like a name. Simple voice memo. Everybody's get an iPhone. Let's practice it. You talked about identity, which mm-hmm. is a part of the cultural responsiveness, which leads right into what you said about do students see themselves in the books that they read? Do students see themselves in the experiences that you are providing for them? Do students see themselves in how you pronounce their name? Like it, it all connects. That's why I was so excited to have somebody like you on because you're, you're, you, you know, you have this experience, you're, you're an actor and an artist, so you're not in the classroom every day but you're drawing on your own experiences, both as a child and as a person who's now working professionally to tie all this together. And it's just amazing how succinctly it connects to the themes that we constantly talk about here. And I'll say for the record that none of this was, uh, was rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. And I also want to add to that. I acknowledge that there are sounds in certain names that may not exist in a person's phonological fluency because it doesn't exist yeah, in their point. language. So, so, um, so that exists, right? I know that my father and other men and women from the Gambia will be the best at pronouncing my name, better than, better than myself, better than my husband, because they grew up with the language, they grew up with the sounds in their mouths. So I know that there, there are going to be times where you may not get a name 100% correct. So you have, you, have to, you have to, number one, have will to try rather than writing it off. And then it has, you have to have the name as it suits inside of your phonological fluency and having done some work, having stretched your mouth, even if you don't get 100% correct, I think that there is much respect by the fact that you really tried and that it's going to be sitting in your mouth. It may not be necessarily in the way of, of a native speaker, but, it, but it's going to be there to the best of your phonological yep. fluency. And I think I would hope that the person with the unpracticed name would also recognize that and still know that that person is showing them respect. And celebration. That's a great point. And I think I'll, I just the only thing that I'd add there is that the person who's stretching their, uh, their, their phonological abilities is also learning something new, you know, and stretching themselves in some ways. I don't know if there's anything wrong with that ever. Right. Um, so, so it, I think that here's an interesting question. What would, uh, you know, you, you, you recently, not recently, but eight years ago, you reclaimed um, your name. Uh, so what advice mm-hmm. would, um, and Jamie give to 
Jamie or to Jamie's parents back then? <laughs> yeah. I think the advice that I would have given to my parents is even though I even, okay, I would say even though your daughter has the name Jamie at school, remember to continue to make her extremely proud of the name Njene. Make sure her teachers know how to say Njene. If there is the option to go by Jamie, she knows that she has the option, that it wasn't, that it's not just bestowed or given to her. And that makes sure that she knows where the nickname Jamie is coming from. And also to my parents, you should know where and what the motivation of the nickname Jamie is. Right. Well, I think that's a, that's a great place to kind of uh, end with the, the content of the naming piece. But I do want to get a little information out there about you. The first of those two questions that I want to ask is a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. And that is if there is um, a book or any other resource that has influenced you either personally or professionally. And this doesn't necessarily have to do um, with, with names or English learning, um, but we just have this ongoing list. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, the book that I, I felt as though came to me at a time when I most needed it. And it, it's a, it's a book it's a world famous book that I think when you're ready to read it, um, it will find you. And it's called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And this book is, to, to me, the character of Santiago is an every man, every woman, every person who is on pursuit to find their inner truth. And I will say that even though if I could go back and give my parents some advice and say that, that they should um, they should have been fully aware of where the nickname Jamie and the Motivation came from, what I will say is I'm very proud of my parents that they gave me strength to do serious reflection as I got older and to help me figure out, well, since I've been going by Jamie and I want to go by in Jamie, how will I, how, how, what are the actions that I will take to really appreciate and love my name and have the courage to change everybody's mind around me who knew me as Jamie? And so The Alchemist, this book helped me um, by helping me, giving me courage and looking for the signs as Santiago does, he looks for he looks for signs, he looks for the omens, he looks for the people in his life who are pillars who lead him towards his treasure. I too look for guidance. I too look at um, different people who have influenced my life, be they my Angelou, my own father, and um, figuring out what is true for me and, and my truth starts by going by my real name. And that my real name is a treasure. Um, and learning so much more about the beauty of having an, an unpracticed name and, and, and not having a common name in this country. And so with that, there's power in there. And now what do I do with that power? Where else can, if that power is also a treasure, what can I do with that? And so 
if anyone wants to read The Alchemist, please go for it because it will help yeah. you whatever journey of understanding yourself in your life. But it really helped me to understand that I want to use my story and my treasure of my name to help others find the confidence to, in, in, the, in the face of assimilation in the United States, to claim their names if they haven't claimed it before or right. reclaim it. That is uh, an amazing book, and it, I'm glad to say it's one that has not been mentioned yet in the 60-ish episodes we've done. Um, and uh, it's it's actually really interesting that you mentioned that because uh, it's funny. I we just like cleaned out my bookshelves at home, and we have uh, four children, and so there's lots of books. They're all readers, which we're very lucky about. But that book was kind of like under a lot of other ones, and we were kind of going through what we were going to keep and what we weren't, and what we were going to give away. And I said that book stays in the shelf. Because somebody is going, somebody is going to pick yep. it up, and they're going to read it, and it's going to be a game changer, exactly. like it was for me. So uh, that was really special. Ex- oh, so it's there. Wow, it's it's we're not we're not forcing anybody, but the book is sitting there, and I, it's like a lighthouse, like a like a like a shining beacon of hope that will. I'm sure one of the kids will pick it up and have that experience. At least I hope they will. So I'm really glad you mentioned that book. Special to me as well. Yes, and this book. I mean this. 23 million copies in 117 countries. And I think it's been, it's been, it says in the back, it's been translated into 41 languages. So. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So uh, what we didn't really get into too much during this interview was um, sort of, you know, the fact that you're um, an actor and an artist and, and um, I'd love it if you could just let us know a little bit about how we might be able to find out about the work you're doing. I checked out some of your, um, some of your work, some of your resources. Um, but if you could just let, let sort of listeners know that way they can go and find out a little bit more about you. Um, you're, you're more than just a person who writes about, uh, about names, although that's been really powerful. And I think people have heard in this, um, in this interview, that's something you're really passionate about, but where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So they can go to my website. It's com. So www.njma.com. They can jump there for just updates and all of the updates that, I'm creating, my husband and I, we're really starting a podcast, and we're so, we're so excited. Um, so as, as we are millennials, and, and millennials are, are doing so, uh, we're starting to take over the workforce. One of us is even running for president. There's so many different terms and languages that are being created daily, and as we are such a force in starting conversations, we want to freight millennials by introducing topics that may not necessarily be discussed on mainstream media. And so we want people to cozy up to our podcast and learn different terms like what exactly is an American name today? Or what does it mean to be transracial? Um, if we're looking at the Catholic Church, which is such a huge establishment, what does it mean if a woman wants to become a Catholic priest and she chooses the term father? So the season one will be revolving around names and labels that we give ourselves and continuing to see how the American identity continues to change, continues to evolve, and how do we stay on top of it? Um, I'm so excited. I'm bringing on another guest who, he's a, a spiritual guru, and instead of using the terms black, white, and brown, he actually uses terms like melanin dominant, melanin recessive. So that would be really interesting to hear his perspective on how does language continue to create mentalities or create realities 
or are, you know, maintaining realities that aren't useful anymore or maintaining words that aren't useful anymore. So we're, gonna, we're still trying to figure out what really the podcast title will be, but people can look for updates on my website. You can also follow me on Instagram. My handle is at lady, L-A-D-Y underscore N-J-A-Y. And we're going to have updates about the podcast. We're also going to have updates on the book that I'm currently writing. So if people had a chance to look at my Teen Vogue article, that was actually an excerpt from a bigger experience that I had. And I, in my memoir, I go into how I got the name Jamie and into reclaiming and jamming and sort of the privileges and, and then being on the other, other side of the frustrations that I had to endure when I reclaimed my birth name. So lots of exciting things coming up. Um, but uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram, check out the website and look out for the podcast and the book to come. That's great. That podcast sounds super interesting. And uh, I will make sure that I link to all of those resources that you just mentioned um, on the show notes. And you can find that uh, as always at elevationeducation.com slash EL community. And with that, uh, and Jamie, it has been uh, an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I just, your perspective um, is, is important and I think necessary at this point. And it's just, I'll just reiterate one more time for all the educators listening. I mean, it was most of our audience how many parallels you drew to the things we're talking about when we, when we talk about strict sort of um, educational topics. So thank you so much for closing the loop. Good luck with everything you're doing. And I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you. And I appreciate the work that you're doing and for reaching out to me and for your willingness to have this conversation because I think it's so important. So thank you for leading. Thank you for calling in these topics. And I, I hope that all your listeners will get something out of this. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.